If you could turn to the book of Matthew chapter 22, we're going to jump right in today. The book of Matthew chapter 22, we've been in a series called Daring, we're actually wrapping that series up, and I, I'm actually really looking forward to seeing next week Pastor Lindsay and the team are going to bring so much, I think, significance. I love seeing our young people step into where they bring significance. I'm looking forward to that today. We're going to wrap up. Now, in this series called Daring, probably the best way, if, you, if you're just joining us for the very first time, you can go onto our YouTube uh, channel and you can catch all those uh, sermons leading up to this. But in general, we've been talking about living a daring life, and a daring life goes beyond just a life of surviving. It's a life of thriving. We're going to talk about that more today. Last week, we talked about having daring humility, and I know that's something that I struggle with because I'm probably the most humble person in the room which means I'm actually the most prideful person in the room. It's a bit of a humble brag, right? And so uh, we last week said, hey, for us to live with daring humility, we have to overcome this obstacle called pride, right? And so uh, daring humility absolutely dismantles pride, and, and it does so in a couple ways. When we exercise daring humility, number one, we establish clarity of who our true opponent is. Uh, Last week we talked about how our opponent isn't the people. It's not the political parties. It's not the different sides of the fence. It's not nation groups, people groups. It's not language. It's not socioeconomic. Those are not our true opponents. I want you to know right now that the true opponent that humanity has, that we all are actually as human beings as people, we all are on the same side of the table in this. And this enemy wants us to believe that we're at war with one another and we're not. He wants to divide every relationship, starting with our relationship with God. And he wants to destroy and dismantle the relationships that we were created to have with one another. And I said last week that you have to actually define who your opponent is if you want to defeat your opponent. If you can't define your opponent, you can't defeat him. And he has a name. His name is Satan. And so we have to know clearly as we walk in daring humility, it allows us to reestablish clarity of who our true opponent is. Number two, that helps us to reestablish who our true identity is, and that is that our identity is found in Jesus Christ. It's not found in the things we possess or the things that we achieve. And we established last week that you are not what you've done and you are not what's been done to you. That right there was a powerful revelation for people we heard all last week. People that have just seen so many crazy things in their life. Either they've offended or they've been offended and number three, to reestablish your position, that you are seated with Jesus Christ at the right hand of the Father. That is who you are. And this is important because if we're going to live with daring humility to defeat pride, that's going to allow us to live unoffended. That doesn't mean we're not going to deal with offense. It's just that we're not going to pick up that offense and we're not going to carry it as an identity. Today we're going to read in the book of Matthew, I said to you that daring humility positions you and primes you for a purpose. That today, what I want you to walk out here with is an understanding, a clear understanding that your life matters, that you're significant, and that you have purpose. Now, I'm going to dare to say that that purpose is not maybe what you think it is. It may not be what you and I have been taught or maybe what we've picked up along the way in life, but you have a purpose in life, a daring purpose in life. Let's read in Matthew 22, starting in verse 34, conversation that Jesus is having with some religious leaders at the time called Pharisees and Sadducees. It says, but when the Pharisees heard 
that he, who is he, that's Jesus, had silenced the Sadducees with his reply, they met together to question him again. And one of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap Jesus with this question. He said, teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Now, I love Jesus' response in this because Jesus is going to say something that seems very, very simple. Okay, but simple does not mean easy. And it's going to seem like he's oversimplifying something. But then I love what Jesus also does. He answers the initial question and then he gives them a little bonus. Okay, and he's like, I'm not even going to charge you for that. Listen, he says, Jesus replies to this, which is the most important command in the law of Moses? Here's Jesus' reply. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all of your mind. Now that seems rather impossible to me as a human being. When I, I just want you to know right now, it makes me uncomfortable. It makes it, it, that discomfort in me is because I'm going, man, I don't know if I can actually do that. I see what it's saying, but I don't know. I don't know if I can really do that in practical terms. But this is what Jesus is saying. This is the greatest commandment. And then I love what he says as he backs it up. He says, this is the first and the greatest commandment. And then here's the bonus. I'm going to give you a second one, okay? And a second one is equally important, to love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. And then he goes on and he asks the Pharisees a question. He says, verse 42, what do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? And the Pharisees and Sadducees reply, and they say, he's the son of David. And Jesus responds, then why does David, speaking under the inspiration or speaking by the power of the Spirit, David is speaking not by his own strength. He's speaking underneath the strength and the power and the conviction of the Holy Spirit. He says, then why does David, speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, call the Messiah my Lord? For David said, this is David's words, the Lord said to my Lord. Now, just to be clear, the Lord wasn't speaking to him like, it's not Pat said to Pat. This is God, the Father, Lord, speaking to Jesus' Son, Lord. This is, this is a clear depiction in Scripture of the separation between, and yet the complete unity and community between the Father and the Son. It says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies beneath your feet. And since David called the Messiah my Lord, how can then the Messiah be his Son? And this is awesome to me. No one could answer him. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. <laughs> like, Jesus is like, mic drop, boom. And all the religious leaders, like, we don't even know how to answer that. Because what he did was he just called them out of the religious towers and into being real love. You need to love God with everything. You need to love the people around you with everything that you've been loved by. That's simply what that scripture is saying. I remember in my own life, hitting the point in my life, it was probably about the year 2000. It was probably a year and a half before we started this church. And I grew up in Oceanside. And so I was sitting in downtown Oceanside in this little church near where I grew up. And my life was a mess. I just, I just want to upfront tell you my life was an absolute mess. My wife and I, Chandra, were married. We had our oldest daughter, our oldest of our seven daughters, um, my oldest who just got married a couple months ago. It tells you how long ago this was. So I'm dating myself here. So here we, here we sit. It's me and my young daughter, Makana. And I'm holding her. I'm sitting. I can never forget this picture. I'm sitting in the back of a church in the back. If I was the, if I was the pastor, I'd look back in the very back row. I mean, as far back in the back as I could get in the back. I'm that guy, okay? 
and I'm sitting in the back and I'm holding my daughter and she's asleep. And I don't remember much of what the, the pastor talked about that Sunday. And the truth is, is that you probably don't remember my entire message, but there's a couple things that will stick out to you, a couple sentences, a couple lines that you will take, little nuggets that you will take and, and they, they get into your brain and they're like earworms. You know, it's like you can't unhear them. They just keep like, man, I heard Pastor Pat say this one time, right? We're gonna ready our hearts to steady our hearts. If you can't define who your opponent is, you can't defeat your opponent. There's these one-liners. And so the pastor's sitting, and I can't tell you what he preached about. It's okay, but I do remember this. And this one line changed the trajectory of my entire life. He paused for a second, and he looked up at the very end of his sermon. And the room was still. And there I sat holding my young baby girl who was asleep. And he simply asked this question. Haven't you ever wanted your life to have purpose? That one question dismantled everything for me. Because to that point in my life, I had been fighting to find my purpose. And I thought it was wrapped up in money and fame and success. Being a business owner, being young, prestigious, building a name for myself, my accomplishments, my skills. But what I found was that wasn't purpose at all. That there was something inside of me that I was longing to live for that actually was bigger than me. I was fighting for daring purpose. Today we're going to talk about your daring purpose in your life and the fact that you're significant and that you matter. For some of you, you need to hear that. You need to hear the right where you sit, the age you're at, what you're in the middle of, <laughs> your education, your income, all that stuff actually doesn't speak to your significance, that your life matters and you're significant and you have a daring purpose. Now let's define daring really quick because this is what the whole series was based on that we're finishing. To define daring, it means adventurous. It means audaciously bold. In fact, it really means bold, especially with confident disregard for personal comfort. That if you live in a daring manner, if you have a daring life, if you have daring faith, if you have daring humility, if you have daring forgiveness, if you have daring belief and daring to follow Jesus Christ and you're gonna live in a daring way to be moved in compassion, move with daring intimacy where you're truly willing to be known and to know someone else. These are the things that we've talked about over the last handful of weeks that when we really boil it down, that the word daring is to be bold, especially when it comes to confident disregard for your own personal comfort. It takes you and I to be able to step outside of our comfort zone. This word purpose simply means this. It's where you make the most significant impact. 
And my purpose, I wasn't making the most significant impact by chasing all of these things. There's something greater that God has actually called each one of us to, and we all have it in common. Let me tell you what else we all have in common. We all face this barrier. This is the common barrier that stops us from walking in daring purpose. It's our personal pursuit of comfort. I was comfortable chasing my own stuff. We chase comfort in our society. We all, when we're faced with these, these thoughts of potential failure, of change, because not a lot of us like change. We, we like fast food because it comforts us and it serves us. We, we like our smart devices because they answer our questions immediately and that comforts me. And there's actually a chemical response that's comforting you. Perhaps when you start to step out and think, gosh, my life is meant for something beyond me that the fear of potential failure holds you back. Maybe what people will say about you. But the truth is, is that no matter what it is, we all deal with this discomfort that darkens our doorstep at times. Every single one of us, no matter where we stand, have dealt with these thoughts. And that levels the playing field. And really what we all need in order to overcome this personal pursuit of comfort is a daring vision. See, a daring vision allows us to embrace our discomfort and be okay with it. Because your vision is your why. And in my life, I had a good why. I just didn't have a God-sized why. And because it was really based on me, when things didn't serve me, this vision, this why broke down. We need a God-sized why. Now, I would call that daring vision in order to help us embrace this discomfort. So this is what daring vision is. This is a why with, guess what? Bold and confident disregard for personal comfort. And there's three things that daring vision gives you and I. Number one, it pulls us, it presses us, and it empowers us. These three things are very, very important. Number one, daring vision pulls. Daring vision is going to pull you outside of your comfort zone. It's going to pull you out of your comfort zone. The scripture we just read, Jesus says, you got to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and your mind. And the second commandment is equal to this one. you got to love your neighbor as yourself. As soon as you hear you love your neighbor as yourself, that's pulling you out of your comfort zone and into community. So for me to love my neighbor, I have to be in community. I have to know someone and be known. So Daring Vision pulls us out of our comfort zone and into community. And this is key. Because what you're saying is the daring vision of your life, I want you to know this, the daring vision of your life, the daring vision of my life is that we would love God with everything and that we would love those that you encounter, that I encounter with everything that we've been loved by. That is the daring vision of humanity. It's what we were created for, the, our original design. That's what we were created for. So loving God with everything, loving others with everything as we've been loved, that is outside of the comfort zone of most humans. 
That zone, I call the me zone. <laughs> it's the zone where everything matters because it really is centered around me. I know this statistically. Social science has done studies and they prove this one fact. That as humans, this is what every single one of us do. When we process something, when someone, when someone tries to sell you something or you see an ad or you walk into a store and it says, exit this way, enter this way. Or you, maybe you're listening to a pastor who's standing up in front of you and saying something to you right now. This is what your first question in your brain will be. And this is my own first question. How will this impact me? You want to know what it's going to cost you. You want to know what change it's going to have to require of you. You want to know how it's going to be good for you. And that's uncomfortable to have to think through that. But the truth is that's why daring vision pulls us out of that me zone and it drops us into a we zone of community. Can I tell you something? A lot of people have asked me after doing ministry for 20 years and my life was a mess. I'm gonna tell you, I probably would be divorced by now. I don't even know if I'd be alive. People have sat, I've spoken publicly about this. I've been interviewed on podcasts about this. I've done tons of stuff and people kind of ask the same question. How did you find your purpose? And this is what I tell them. That is deceiving because purpose in your life is not found. It's fostered and it's fostered in community. See, I need the daring vision that God has for humanity to be loved by him with everything, love him with everything and love the people around the same way that we've been loved. I need that to pull me out of my me zone and into this community of we. Because it's in that community, the moment that I made myself vulnerable and open and I stepped out of my comfort zone in that, it was the people around me that started asking me hard questions and helping me along the way and helped foster this, this daring purpose in my life. This thing that I had chased after and no matter how much money I put in my bank or how much money that I gambled away or how much I drank or how much I decided to treat people poorly, nothing was going to fill that void in my life. I'm just being transparent with you. That's where I was at. And I needed this God-sized daring vision to pull me out of my comfort zone and into community. I was built, you were built for we. And the enemy wants us to always live centered on me. Daring vision pulls you out of the comfort of the me zone and into the community of the we zone. And we need it. We need community with Jesus. We need community with one another. Daring vision also presses. So as much as it's pulling us into community, it's also going to press us. It's going to press us on toward our daring mission because every vision has a mission. Every vision has a mission. Why did God love you? Why did God come in the form of his son, send his son Jesus Christ to die for you so that you could sit in a church and you could clap at some songs and high five and check a box and say, man, I went and sat in a seat on a Sunday morning. Look at me, I'm a great Christian. I've been informed. Maybe not transformed, but I've been informed. And look at me, I have like spiritual obesity to the max. My spiritual BMI is through the roof. I am so full of information. Is that, is, that, is that the purpose of why Jesus Christ died and loved you even yet 
while you and I were making mistakes and blowing it and we were tripping over our own faults and failures. And by the way, we will continue to do so this side of heaven. Is that why Jesus Christ came? Is that the mission? The mission actually is this. He gives us a great commandment and he also gives us a great commission, a mission attached to the vision. This is what he said to his disciples. I've been given all authority under heaven and on earth. Therefore, he says to his disciples, he says to the followers of Jesus, go and make disciples in all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey my commands. What commands chiefly do you think I have a mandate to teach? Love Jesus with everything as he has loved you. And for goodness sake, Love the people around you because that's the definition of a neighbor. Love the person in front of you with the same discipline, tenacity, joy, and honor that you have been loved by Jesus. You know what that means? They're going to be in the middle of their mess and you and I are going to love them in a daring fashion, daring vision, daring purpose. Every vision has a mission. Now, the problem is a lot of us see our salvation as the mission. Jesus' mission in life wasn't to come back so that you and I could sit and embark on a mission called salvation. That was the open door. We stepped into our mission. That was the recruit, like that's the recruiter office, okay? That's where you step through and you go, Salvation, now I'm signed up for what? The mission. And proof that our salvation is not our mission is that if it was our mission, as soon as we say, Jesus, I'm yours, why are we all still here? Because we still have a mission to accomplish. If the mission was salvation, you would have said yes to Jesus, poof. Mission accomplished. But you and I have a mission. And we have to understand this. We have to understand this because too often, especially in America, I think we, reckon, we, we mistakenly recognize salvation as the mission. It's the beginning. It's part of the process. Okay. When Jesus says, I want you to go and make disciples in all the nations, you know what that tells me? That your mission has a mission field. Here's the mission field. From where you sit today, from where you're listening from right now, your mission field exists from right there, from right here, to the farthest place that you can imagine. And you're going to live in seasons of your life where your mission field may change, but the mission remains. It never changes. The mission field may change. So maybe that's Mozambique, maybe that's Main Street America. But I'm telling you, you have a mission field. The place that God has created you to have the most significant impact is probably the place that you're sitting right now. We do, we, do, we do incredible work internationally, but I want to tell you something. 
It's also our heart that we would do incredible work in our backyard. That's why we're doing the most significant thing possible. Like, don't, don't mistake the simple thing of us going down the street to this elementary school that we love, we've been loving for years, and supporting teachers that feel really beat up right now, that are struggling and they're stressed. And the socioeconomic status of their students puts extra pressure on them. And when we show up and we simply say, we're on mission and we're just going to love you and decorating a room and applauding them and feeding them, it helps inspire them another day to get up and do what? To love these little guys and girls because that's actually what we should be doing. Who has God put in front of you right now? That's probably your mission field. Daring vision is going to press you to embrace discomfort and press you out toward your mission field. And it's probably not very far. Now, here's the problem with that. Not only is it uncomfortable, but it's impossible on your own. It is impossible for me to love the people around me the way that I just described on my own, in my own strength. I can't do it. And just, can I tell you something? And if we, if we all truly just sit with daring humility, we all probably can recognize that loving people to that degree in that way is impossible in humanity because we put conditions on love. So we need to be empowered by something outside of ourselves. We need to live for something outside of ourselves. And we need to be empowered by something outside of ourselves. Daring vision is going to empower you through inspiration. You're going to be inspired when you're in community with Jesus. You're going to be inspired when you're in community with other people. You're going to get inspired when you step into your mission field and you begin loving people. Trust me, you're going to be inspired. But the true inspiration, the word inspiration means in spirit. You need the Spirit of God living in you and through you in order for you and I to step in and walk in this mission, this daring mission with daring purpose. You and I need the power of the Holy Spirit to do it. Not motivation. We need inspiration. Motivation will get you off the start line. Somebody asked me the other day in an interview, they were interviewing me about how to, how to push through and deal with discomfort. Um, for some of you, if you don't know, I, I love doing triathlons. So as a triathlete, I do half Ironman distance, which is a lot of miles. I won't get into all the details, but it's painful and it hurts and it's traumatic to your body at times. And they said, what motivates you? And I said, well, that's the problem. It's not motivation. Motivation is the motive to get you off the starting line. Inspiration is what pulls you through the pain to the finish line. In spirit, something has to be inside of you. There has to be a bigger why. The presence of God in our lives is key. If we were able to pull this off just in humanity's terms with our strategies, don't you think every social program in the world would have knocked all the problems out by now? Think critically about this. How much money is spent on social programs to fix what sin has broken? And void of the presence of God, I want to tell you something. We cannot love people the way they need to be loved. We, I want to feed someone, and we do that at San Marcos Elementary, and we do that internationally. But I also want to feed their spirit. That's why I say to you that your life matters and you're significant. I'm not handing out food 
for you today, but I'm handing out food for your soul today. I've had more people break down and cry with the revelation that their life matters and they're significant and feeding their spirit than handing them food. And we feed thousands of people every single month through this ministry, right here on this campus. You are significant and your life matters. And God's presence, his spirit inspires you. I'm gonna end with this. Why don't you stand? There's a guy in the Bible, his name is Zerubbabel. I'm gonna call him Z, because <laughs> it's just a crazy name to say. Zerubbabel. Go ahead, turn to the person next to you and say that twice really fast. Okay. Zerubbabel. Okay, so Z, I call him Z. So Z is this guy that God gives this daring vision to, and he says, I'm gonna send you on this daring mission to rebuild the temple. This is what the temple is. The temple is the place that people come in contact with the presence of God and have an encounter with a living God. Can I tell you that the very thing that you were purposed to do so daringly in your life is to love people in such a way that you bring them into temple, you bring them into an intersecting point where they encounter the love of God, where they go, oh my gosh, I've experienced the love of God. We, we're just... The, we're just, we're just the house, right? We're just offering the space. We're curating the space. But the goal is that you would have an encounter with God. And, and see, this guy is rebuilding the temple. God right now wants to reconstruct the temple where he wants to interact with his people and his kids. He wants to do it through your life because your life matters. Your life has massive significance. Don't you know that? that you have the ability to bring people into a space where they can have an encounter, a life-changing encounter that maybe just for a second, it's one sentence that in the pause, in the quiet, that you hear this. Haven't you ever wanted your life to have purpose?
when you're willing to not walk by your own strength and your own power and your own might, but walk in the spirit of a living God. This is the byproduct. Nothing, not even a mighty mountain will stand in Zerubbabel's way. There's nothing that can stand in the way of your daring purpose when you have daring vision. There's nothing that can stand in the way of the significance that you were created to walk in because your life matters. Nothing, not even a mighty mountain will stand in Zerubbabel's way and it will become a level plain before him. And Zerubbabel sets the final stone of the temple in place the people will shout, may God bless it. May God bless it. Why don't you close your eyes this morning? I'm just gonna pray this over us this morning. God, I just pray right now in the name of Jesus that we would walk, Lord, with a daring vision that speaks to our daring purpose, that every single one of us would know beyond a shadow of a doubt that our life matters, we have significance, that we're like, we're, we're made in purpose, for purpose. God has made you in daring purpose for you to thrive in with a daring vision, pulling you into an inspirational community, pressing you toward your inspired mission, empowered by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. That's, that's who you are. That there's gonna hit a day in your life when you're gonna get to your last breath. And I don't know when that is, but when that comes, I know when that happens for me, this is, this is all that matters to me. I just wanna know this one thing. I'm gonna look up and I don't wanna know if my 401k performed well that year. And I don't wanna talk about the lease on my car or how many square feet I got in my house. I wanna know that my life was significant. I wanna know that it mattered. And, and I wanna see the proof in the faces of the people around me that said, Pat, your life was significant because you were willing to walk with daring vision that pulled you out of your comfort zone and into community, that you were willing to be pressed into a mission of significance, that you were willing to be inspired by the presence of God and be inspirational to others. That is what I pray over every single person right now that can hear my voice. Lord, that we would be inspired and inspirational. God, that we would be full of your presence and your spirit. That when we walk into rooms, things would shift and change because we're willing to press past that discomfort. We're willing to embrace it. And we're willing to say, your life matters. Your life is significant. In fact, I'm gonna love you according to that value system. I'm gonna love you when you, when you still irritate me, you know, people irritate, you know, when you're like, you don't, you don't, and don't tell the person this, but it's like in your, in your brain, you can say this, when you, you're, when you still irritate me, I'm going to love you. I'm going to love you. I'm going to love you with significance. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to lie to the enemy who says you're insignificant. I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to start to speak truth to that lie. I'm going to love you with significance because Jesus Christ loved me with significance. At the end of the day, may God bless it. That the people would shout, may God bless it. That today, I'm screaming into the hallways of your heart. May God bless the significance that he's placed on your life. May God bless the significance that he's placed before you. May God bless the vision. May God bless the purpose. May God bless the ministry. May God bless the mission field. May God bless it. May God bless it. I'm gonna make things really practical because I, I, want, I want these things to be practical as we walk out of here. 
I have two, two thank yous that I want you to thank the same person, okay? It's Jesus. It's really easy. This week, when you walk away, I want you to thank Jesus for embracing discomfort and having daring vision to love you when you didn't deserve it. We all make mistakes. Come on. <laughs> thank you, Jesus, for this daring vision to love me when my actions didn't equal or equate to your significant love. And then we're going to thank Jesus for his daring purpose that he lived to restore all that the enemy tried to break through humanity's partnership and sin. Thank you, Jesus, for your daring vision and your daring purpose. And you can do anything one time. And so this is what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to, I'm going to ask you to sit with God and say, God, show me one person right now that's my mission. Show me one person that I can love with significance as I have been loved with significance. Give me daring vision and purpose for this one person. And then I want you to do one practical thing for that person this week. Don't miss the moment. It can be as simple as showing up with a meal, encouraging them, thanking them for something, putting a smile on their face. You do not know what's going on behind the veil of someone's eyes or what they try to put on on the outside, chances are things are not going well. You have an opportunity. Don't miss the moment. May God bless it. May God bless it. If you need prayer this morning, don't leave here without getting prayer. We want to take the time with you. Whether you're on our online campus, we have someone on our stream team that would love to pray with you. Whether you're here on campus, we have a team that's ready and willing to pray for you. I don't want you to leave until you understand and you have, you're holding firmly to the fact that your life is significant and your life matters. You have daring purpose in your life. In Jesus' powerful name, everyone said, amen.